You are listening to Feeding the Mouth That Bites You with Ashley Parrish and Jessica Pfeiffer. A weekly podcast guide on parenting teens and launching them into the world. As always, we are joined by psychologist and author, Dr. Ken Wilgus. Hey everyone, and welcome back. On today's episode, we will be discussing teens and video games. Jessica, we talked a bit before this, and I think that we're aging ourselves, but it is so much fun to remember back to all the games we used to play. I can remember my first game. We played it at school, and it was called Oregon Trail, and I know <laughs> several several listeners are going to be like, yes. And I don't even know what that school. is. Well, it was very intense. You, had, you were all like pioneers. You had oxen, and you had to... Um, Try not to die of smallpox, basically. <laughs> who, who could resist that? Really? Was, That's just fun. <laughs> but that was the very first game I remember, and we played it at school, and it was so much fun. That is hilarious. I, I was a little more mainstream. I'd say I didn't play many video games. My parents didn't let us have a game set at all, Nintendo or whatever. So um, we just played them at the arcades, and I loved Pac-Man. I loved it. I felt like I was pretty good. Uh, I probably wasted a lot of quarters on that. (laughs) But these things are kind of different today. Our gaming and our game systems are different. And the options available and the fact that we can do everything online 24 hours a day and not wait till the arcade is open changes all of it, doesn't it? It does. And, you know, I think it's important that we're talking about that because, you know, my kids were similar uh, ages to you, Jessica, in that. We didn't let our, we just didn't want to have video games. And back then, you could kind of make that choice because some kids didn't have video games. But my memory is always that by third grade, our oldest sat down to dinner. He must have planned this little thing. And he said, he's a third grader. And he goes, Mom, Dad, I really appreciate that you're trying to keep me from bad influence uh, by not giving (laughs) video games. But at lunch, I don't have anything to talk about with my friends because that's all they talk about. And we had never considered that part, that it became, it was just beginning to be enough of uh, a regular constant part of kid life that he was like becoming an outcast. Mm-hmm. So that was early on. And now, good grief, uh, it is uh, in some subgroups of kids, it's a huge deal. So parents have to completely rethink not only the content, the reality, the violence, all that, but also that it's a part of their life and their social life. And how do you balance all that, especially with teenagers? Well, in a game, content is very different today, obviously, from what we were experiencing. I mean, Qbert and uh, Tetris and Pac-Man are pretty innocuous. I checked into the top 10 games of 2020, and I think yeah. four of them were mature 17 plus first person shooter type yep. games. So the content is really different. Um, and it tends to be a little more male oriented and mm. in the way that they're wired differently than the girls. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think that's part of it too. So how do we as parents know when and how to set limits on the content of what they're playing and let's go into the time of how much they're playing. Well, you know, I really think a good thing for most all parents to do, and they probably know this, is that when you're looking at uh, or thinking about either a game for your kid or concerned about a game your kid's playing, it is worth your while to see how that game looks. So if you go on YouTube and type in whatever the name of the game is, League of Legends, Minecraft, and type in gameplay, you can pull up a video 
of someone, uh, you know, just lots of hours of someone playing that game. So it's worth your while to be at least somewhat educated in, you know, what is this that we're looking at? Uh, I think you should just see it. Uh, but um, then after that, and again, this is a, a podcast about teenagers, then you really do have to think about both the area of limits based on violent and or sexual content and certainly the amount of time. And those are two different issues that all parents have to kind of take into account. But remember, with teenagers, you definitely need to be thinking about however you deal with it, what your goal is uh, in, in helping them to uh, develop as teenagers. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Ken, what do the different boundaries look like with video gaming for children versus teens? Yeah. So with children, it's pretty reasonable to very much be considering what I want to allow my child to be exposed to. So mm-hmm. if you've got an eight-year-old and you have a game like Grand Theft Auto, <laughs> oh goodness, which technically should be outlawed in my opinion, you, mm-hmm. know, you need to make sure and do all you can to keep your eight-year-old from ever seeing that game. Mm-hmm. But if you have a 15-year-old boy who's a good kid, and I can think of several, um, whose friends are not bad kids either, and they are all playing a game even as bad as Grand Theft Auto, then you have to rethink it. Your goal can't be to make sure that they're not exposed. Somewhere by late childhood and certainly by adolescence, you really need to begin to think about our goal here is to train these young adults in how they're going to manage themselves in a world that is awash in video games. And that's a different goal, not the parental goal of I'm going to construct these boundaries in my child's life so that they never have to see these things. We're going to have no television. They'll never know there was such thing as video games. You can't do that. Right. Uh, and especially by teenagers, if that's your what you're still doing, you're I would argue you're not you're actually doing them a disservice. You know, they're not ready to go to college with a roommate who has they always have some big TV screen, video game <laughs> system, you know, that's bigger than the dorm room. And, you know, they're not ready to handle that. And so mm-hmm. you need to think about the goal of of guiding this teenager in how mostly he is going to be managing these things in his life, not the goal of always keeping that uh, unavailable to them. So should we or could we require that our kids abide by the game rating systems is that appropriate or do you feel like that's not fair oh and i think it is except uh, again it depends on the kids you're dealing with so i'm going to end up kind of sounding like i'm going back on what i just said about the training at the same time it is video games are something that can be super draining and draw you in uh, and and the ratings that can about the content are often very much ignored so i think it's quite reasonable to at least start your whole deal with no you you can watch you can get that game when you're 17 but think of it the same way as that you know you probably have the limit that you can't watch r-rated movies till you're 17 well how's that going you know because it's it's they can see these things so it's fine to have that goal but keep each kid in mind uh, in terms of what they're actually having to deal with if, in fact, a whole bunch of their peers are all involved in this thing that is technically rated 17, I don't think it's bad parenting to consider rethinking that line if you have to. Mm-hmm. But no, I don't think the line itself is bad at all. It's, pre- it's pretty reasonable 
uh, let's face it, it's not like the video game rating system, which is voluntary, is uh, overdoing it. Uh, it's not like American gaming companies are too strict. Uh, if anything, they're, you know, if it says mature, it, there's a reason for it. Okay. What about time limits? And do we change our time limits based on weekdays versus weekends? Or especially now during this kind of stay-at-home order there's so much time at home and there's not much we can do or places we can go so do time limits are they helpful to teenagers with video gaming and do we change those according to what's going on yeah that is the big issue and Mm -hmm. so i am all about uh, parents need to know that setting limit time limits for video games is perfectly appropriate and you really need to feel free to do that. And I'm fine with you doing that into late adolescence. Like even if you have a junior in high school and you're still limiting their time, I'm fine with that. Uh, But uh, as with all things, I would find a point by senior year, for example, that you do uh, let go of that time limit. Uh, but video games can be very absorbing. I have just seen over the it's just crazy in the last 10 years, the number of early 20s and later adult men who can kind of just absorb themselves in a game system and really avoid the world. So it's quite reasonable to set limits. Uh, if you have a kid that's a little bit nerdy, like my kids always were, and um really drawn into this stuff, then you may end up with really a lot of battles with a kid who is just can't imagine that you don't allow six to eight or more hours of this game a day. And yeah. they'll look at you like, what is, why would you do all my friends? I would encourage you to stay strong. That is absurd. This is entertainment. Nobody yeah. needs to be entertained in a specific way for eight hours. I think the American Pediatric Association, uh, and I, I recommend in my book as well, two hours a day is plenty. Uh, and one hour in the school day is plenty. So mm-hmm. if it's a summer day, you know, again, these are guidelines, but if you're allowing two hours a day d- when in the summer, you're allowing two hours of a game. After that, you know, they could even watch a movie that night or whatever. Right. But just uh, let, setting those limits, yeah, that's that's really important. And as you mentioned, Ashley, during this shutdown time, during this virus, um, mm-hmm. it's really tough. It's really tough. And so um, I would also mention that the way that it's best to set those limits for teenagers is to – Find some way where you can kind of see the accountability, like basically allow them to take themselves off the game after two hours. Um, there are ways to automatically set where it goes off. The you know the Wi-Fi drops off after a certain time. That tends to be extremely frustrating for teenagers when you automatically do it. I would give them the chance to uh, turn it off after two hours. What that means is that at two hours and five minutes. You walk up and say, hey, just letting you know that you've lost an hour for tomorrow. So I'll give you five more minutes to see if you can get off or you're going to have another hour tomorrow so that, you know, you actually have consequences if they don't turn that off themselves. Mm-hmm. That's your preference first, because what often happens, uh, again, one of the problems is they're in the midst of a game. They're mm-hmm. just and man, 
you pull the plug. Never, ever pull the plug during a game. Teenagers, <laughs> yeah, it causes outrage. Oh, yeah. yes. And so it is not worth, again, because the, especially with teenagers, your goal is not to get them off that game. Your goal is to <laughs> help encourage them to get themselves off the game. So it's a much different mm-hmm. conversation when you're saying, dude, I'm so sorry because I told you you lost one hour at five and then 10 minutes later you lost all of today. Why was that so hard for you to turn off and try to you know, get some discussion and gain some insight on just how nutty sometimes these games make you act and feel? That happened the other day at our house and it was a younger sibling. It was time for the kiddo to get off the game and the younger sibling took it upon themselves to walk over and turn off the game system. Ah, what a helper. Just being yeah. a helper. <laughs> a little dip. Went over, went over not so well. Not, not, not so, so well. well. <laughs> and some of these, some of these games are very social. And so you're right. turning off, they might be doing some sort of a group play situation yeah. where they're, where they're trying to get their team to win. They're on the same team and they're frustrated because now they've let their team down too. Yeah. And they've, yeah, no, you've embarrassed them in front of their friends, you know, cause their friends are all playing together. It's social and it's interactive. See, that's with a good them. point though. It's social in a way because mm-hmm. I've had so many guys tell me, Guys that come home from school, remember when they used to go to school and then would come home uh, <laughs> and say, <laughs> I get with my friends all the time. This is like an anxious kid. I'm like, dude, you get with your friends never. Every afternoon I get on with my friends on mm-hmm. Call of Duty. Not okay, that is not with them. Your friend in Australia, whom you've never met, is not your friend. So mm-hmm. uh, it's it, you're right on the one hand. It actually creates extra pressure for them because they, quote, have this social thing going, but never forget that that's not real social and it should not substitute for social interaction. Right. And I think a lot of parents are struggling with that right now in this time where we do feel very isolated and we know our kids are feeling isolated sports and school and everything else is long gone. And so they are feeling like, well, this is the one connection my kid has with some of their classmates, you know, because we're not getting together, but it's an excuse for pushing our kids to try some things that are new or harder like learning to do something else. (laughs) Yeah, I don't mind that. And and I'm glad you said that. I think during a pandemic, uh, I don't mind if a parent finds themselves, you know, throwing their hands up, fine, you can have three hours. Uh, You know, just try to put some limit to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is tough, uh, but um, it is also important that, you know, I've just, you know, I've got 20 something and older men with moderate anxiety that, they could have worked through their anxiety better, but they've made this sort of golden cage in their parents' house, in their room, where they're able to maybe even not even go to work. But sometimes they go to work, but they come back, and that is all they do. Mm-hmm. And that is not living, and it really concerns me. So it's definitely worth being pretty firm about we're going to try to – we were going to require limits uh, and tell – you know, late in adolescence, junior or senior year, and mm-hmm. then you must let that go with a flourish. It is now up to you. You're too old for us to be limiting it, and you have to make your own decisions, which gives you that long, you know, that year or whatever to really talk to them about how this thing is interfering with their life. Mm-hmm. So some games seem to be more immersive or addictive than others are. Are there any that you have particular concern about? And 
do you believe in gaming addiction? I know there's some controversy about whether or not it's a true addiction. Yeah. Well, the you know, the games that really become an issue, for example, the sports games, Madden, NBA, I have almost no kids that are doing eight hours a day of those games. That Those tend to, mm-hmm. you know, they have, they're like re- recreating reality. Um, but the games uh, you probably used to hear about Fortnite, here's the fun part, Fortnite was this, uh, it was not a first person shooter, you had your own little avatar, and anyway, it just shot up overnight for about two years, it was because of this format called Battle Royale that everyone just thought was awesome, and it's now fading, but it, it was huge, uh, League of Legends is an older game that's now made a comeback, Minecraft, and Call of Duty, which is the military one, or as one lady said, it's that's the game where you sit on your couch and save the world. But yeah. it, it's uh, <laughs> you know, the thing about these games that are concerning is they're, they can be very immersive, especially League of Legends. Those kind of uh, have this kind of fantasy world that you can really absorb into. And those tend to be problematic uh, in how much you can just, like I say, absorb into Uh, Your question about addiction, you know, we talked about this a little bit with pornography, like should I be concerned about whether my teen is addicted to this? Um, I don't I wouldn't worry about the addiction. There really is now uh, more clarity and we are working on should it really be an addiction. Uh, But I think it's important for you to know that that's not a clear thing, even in psychology and psychiatry. It's still being worked on. And I think part of that is because and I would only remind you, I don't know that it's that helpful whether he's addicted or not. Trying mm-hmm. to convince your teenager to say, I'm addicted, is not a huge goal. I would mm-hmm. think more about balancing how much time your teenager is on this game versus how much time your teenager is in real life socially. And that's always the, the thing that makes it. If a kid is doing two hours a day of a game and then goes and with his friends for three hours a day, I'm not very concerned about that kid. Mm-hmm. It's the kid that spends even two or three hours, but then has nothing but, you know, arguing and complaining. I have nothing to do uh, that without my games, that kid I'm worried about. So mm-hmm. I would think more about how much of real life is being absorbed into a game. And that's where you really need to mark your uh, the concern about how much they're doing it versus real life, which, of course, in a pandemic gets into the issue of, yeah, but they can't get out and be with their friends. True. But your your teenager will argue that since I can't get out and real life be with my friends, you have to let me do these games. Again, they have to remind you have to remind this is just a form of entertainment that mm-hmm. is not a way of life. So I'm sorry it's tough for you. But are you arguing to me that since you have some limits in getting together with friends, you must get on games like no other life, like a book, like mm-hmm talking to your sister, oh my goodness, you know, whatever mm-hmm. is, is like not a possible life choice, uh, that you must be aware of not getting kind of into that weird uh, denial that can even happen with these games. Mm-hmm. Well, then it's real tempting to tell them about my childhood where I didn't have any gr- games to play at all. <laughs> yeah, <how does> that <laughs> And how did I survive? <laughs> but that's probably something you'd warn against. Am I right? <laughs> I think it, it, you know, you can try it. Didn't work for me. Either. So whatever you want to say, we didn't have video games and I walked in the snow, both to and from school. <laughs> both ways. It just, they don't, doesn't make much difference, yeah. but it is important to think about two lines of discussion with teenagers is number one. What about your friends? Uh, you are not 
getting out with what happened to so and so. Where are you with him? Uh, what are you? What is he doing? That I always talk about their real life social life. And again, no, being on a game with your friends isn't being with your friends. Mm-hmm. And the other thing you can also I would bring back up for teenagers is. Uh, they need to be reminded that you do know that that game didn't just drop out of the sky. The the thing that draws you in, that makes you, you know, feel like I have to stay on this, is actually planned by a committee of people to try to suck you in. They want right. you to do that is how they make their living. That's not always a hugely effective thing, but I think it's important to keep reminding them that on the other side of that screen. There are people whose job it is to draw you in. You want to be a sucker to that group of people who are trying to make – there are people from the early days of Facebook going around now apologizing for the work they did in mm-hmm. drawing everyone into this, and they're very concerned. Well, that's that's not – I don't – I'm sure there's some gaming person apologizing, but not enough because they are doing this on purpose. Right. It's marketing and it's manipulative to a large degree. Right. For sure. There's a reason behind it all. (laughs) It's not just for our pleasure. Teenagers, as you know, don't like to think of themselves as being dependent or manipulated or suckered by anybody. Mm -hmm. That's good. So, Dr. Kent, I love asking you these these big, fun questions. So, I have a question about this video gaming. So, if our teenage sons or daughters are playing these video games and they're playing video games where they're shooting. Does that mean that they're going to become the next school shooter or shooter of some sort? Good question. Lead to another. Right. So take out your pen and pencil. The answer is (laughs) no. Now video games do uh, increase agitation Mm -hmm. uh, and, and there is some moderate correlation with, uh, a kind of more destructiveness in children. But as for direct, real overt violence that can really easily be traced, we don't we don't have that. Mm-hmm. And and that's, to me, kind of the only reason I point that out is that, um, again, I wouldn't get distracted by, uh oh, uh, you know, this is going to make my kid into a violent shooter. That's really mm-hmm. missing the point. Uh, it's the same thing with addiction, Are you addicted or not. That's not the point. The point is what's happening right now and far before the concern of what if they become some sort of a violent person is the question of the what it does to your soul to have a game like Call of Duty. You can see the gameplay where it's first person. You're holding uh, an AK-47 in an elevator with two or three other paramilitary. The door opens you turn and there is a whole lobby of people waiting at an airport. This is all quite realistic. And yeah. you and your buddies open fire on this crowd. And it is just as bloody and gory as you can imagine. And you don't need to worry, is that going to make them do it? You need to be able to have enough communication. Again, if you're doing planned emancipation, you should be having communication where you can, even at the point where you have allowed them to make their choice, to do that, you should be able to talk to them about, dude, what do you think about that? How do you think that right. is on your soul? So that you really, mm-hmm. again, train them to be strong in and of themselves in managing this worldwide phenomenon that all young people 
are at least familiar with it, if not doing it all the time. So what are some of the motivating factors for extreme gaming use? I think you kind of just said a few things that kind of piqued my interest. You know, having good connections with family kind of keeps you from being so absorbed in a pretend world, you know, having a good set of right. friends. Are there other things that you think that parents might be able to create an environment in their home that that takes away from extreme gaming? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, I do. I think one thing that parents often don't think about is their ability to offer their teenager options uh, rather than just don't do that uh, gaming and I don't care what else you do. Well, you might make it easier for them. And and you mentioned the second one, the obvious one, which is encouraging real friendships is is critical. So why don't you know? Hey, I'll, I'll go take I'll go take you and your friend to the park, and you all can hang out there. Well, it, it, giving them alternatives, I think, is a very big deal. And then, yeah, obviously, relationship in the family is a big deal. And I'm not kidding. Uh, if you are practicing truly planned emancipation, where you are not you're helping with that perception that teenagers have that you're controlling me. I'm mad at you all the time. I don't even want to say good morning to you. If you've done what you can to keep that kind of toxic problem that so many parents have, then that all in and of itself will help your relationship uh, with your teenagers so that they don't feel like they want to be in the room all the time. Charlie and I have tried to set up our family life so that it's at least as interesting or fun as what they have other options to yeah. do. So, you know, just keeping them busy and having saying, Oh, well, you guys can do what you want this weekend, but we're going to be doing something really fun that's right. <laughs> you know? that's right. and, and that's, making that's it. Right. So it's appealing, right? That's right. And that's tough to do. You know, parents are busy. We're working. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We don't really live near anything fun. It, it can take some effort, mm-hmm. uh, but I've got, I've always known, certain parents that they just seem to know cool stuff to do. I was like, how'd you find that place? What, so it's worth doing some research to help with that. And I like what you said that, it, you know, depending upon your teenager's age, it's not always you have to come do this. It's well, you know, we're going to come do this, but you don't have to, but you might want to, you know, show them other options mm-hmm. uh, that you're doing, but not always forcing them. Well, this has been very helpful. There have been a lot of questions answered here as far as setting some limits and having, um, some boundaries for our kids, knowing what some warning signs would be if your kids are playing too many games. I appreciate this, especially in the time that we're in where our kids have a lot of extra free time, aren't spending as much time with real people. And so Ashley and Ken, thank you very much for helping um, this conversation happen. I appreciate all of your wisdom. Thanks for joining us today. Hit the subscribe button so you won't miss an episode. Also, leave us a review. This is how other listeners find our podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Feeding the Mouth. We appreciate you and would love to hear from you. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas about what we've discussed today, please email us at podcast at feedingthemouth.com.